Hi, and welcome to Women at Warp, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Join us as our crew of four women Star Trek fans boldly go on our bi-weekly mission to explore our favorite franchise. My name is Sue, and thanks for tuning in. The whole crew is here tonight. We have Andy. Hello. Jara. Hello. And Grace. I have your ganglia. <laughs> Uh-oh. We talked about the first nine episodes in our podcast episode, 73 Disco Fever, along with the amazing Devetsi from Black Girl Nerds, so if you haven't listened to that yet, check it out. Also, if you hadn't guessed, we'll be sharing spoilers for season one. Spoilers. 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 No complaining. Spoilers. Spoilies. I really love the part where we learned that uh, Lorca was Ray's father. <laughs> no, it came out of nowhere, just crossing the franchises like that. Yeah. Oh, bold move. Bold yeah. move. It was pretty, pretty badass. Amazing. So as usual, we have a little bit of housekeeping to do. Uh, first of all, our show is entirely supported by our patrons on Patreon. If you'd like to become a patron, you can do so for as little as $1 per month and get awesome rewards from Thanks on Social Media to our silly watch-along commentaries. And if you would like to support us on Patreon, you can visit us at patreon.com slash women at work. I would just like to say that our watch-along commentaries are not silly. They are incisive. <laughs> okay. All right. You can also support us by leaving a rating or review on Facebook or Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, including now Spotify. Hmm. So few more quick things. Grace, you are going to be at Emerald City Comic Con coming up. Hell yeah, I am. I will be around for the entirety of the convention, and I hope to see some fans there. We're hoping to plan a meetup, TBA, but it's going to be great. And that is March 1st through 4th. That is correct. And then at the end of that month, I'm going to be at Awesome Con in Washington, D.C. That's March 30th through April 1st, and I'm going to be part of a Star Trek Discovery panel. Yay! How appropriate. So if you'll be at AwesomeCon, you can check that out, too. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now let's talk about Discovery for us. Oh, my God, you guys. Oh, my God. Is that not how you start every discussion about a show that everyone's watching at the same time? Oh, my God, you guys. This is actually my first time being able to watch a Star Trek really along with other fans, because even the ones that I watched before that were airing, I was either like a little kid, and so I could talk about it with my family, or a high schooler who did not tell people she watched Star Trek. <laughs> or it was and, Enterprise. Yeah, and <laughs> this is like the first one that I can actually go to work and be like, hey, did you, have you watched it yet? No, have you watched it yet? Okay. And then like recap with my coworkers every week what people thought. And it's been kind of cool. This is for a full generation of Star Trek fans, their first time having a water cooler show that they can actually, you know, get psyched up for week after week. Yes. It's wild. Exactly. So going into... The second half of season one, we basically had a bunch of fan theories. We didn't really know where we were. We assumed Mirror Universe. There was the fan theory that Lorca was Mirror Lorca. There was the fan theory that Tyler was Vok. And, I mean, check, check, check. Right? <laughs> mm -hmm. oh, so we got to deal with a lot of people being like, I was right! I was right! All arguments are put aside based on me being right! 
Yeah, I mean, I have to admit, I did not see, I did not believe Falorca theory, so I was proven wrong on that. Yeah, I I thought for sure that was just a totally left field theory, and then it all came together. Oh, I was all in on the Lorca theory. And oh yeah. Right before the the second half premiere, I rewatched the first half in a day because, like you do, and there were just the little things that stuck out. Like even you know half a second with the Gorgamander, where he says this line: "Weren't they hunted to extinction?" And everybody on the bridge looks at him like, what? No. It's just tiny little bits. I thought that he was going to be the example of um, what drives Starfleet to abandon its principles. And that he, but like, it turns out that there there is something that will drive people to that. But it took like another nine episodes. Mm-hmm. One thing that I do have to wonder about the Lorca thing is, does this mean that fortune cookies are like way more sinister in the mirror universe? Or is this his way of trying to make himself more wholesome and approachable? I think it's all his reliance on fate. Yeah, the whole, like, destiny is everything. Oh, damn. I was trying to make a joke and you made it a serious thing. Damn it. (laughs) (laughs) But what would Mirror Fortune Cookies say, Grace? Trust no one. They just all say trust no one. (laughs) Help me, I'm trapped in a fortune cookie factory. (laughs) Your lucky numbers are six, 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 and six. (laughs) Do you like Chinese food? Fill out our survey. (laughs) Quick, stab him in the back while he's not looking. I mean, uh, so we end up in the, like, in the mirror universe. Well, we we start off the second part of the season in the mirror universe. And I think that first episode, despite the significant event that we will talk about that is awful, um, was still my favorite of the mirror episodes because it at least had, like, it had a combination of the dark intensity of discoveries had, but it also still had some injections of humor. Captain Killy and like Lorca doing the Scottish accent when he's pretending to be the engineer. And then like the mirror universe, the rest of the time was just like straight up dark the whole time. And I don't mind dark, but it was like, it could have used a laugh or two. Mary Wiseman is an absolute treasure. Yeah, she's so great. There's that scene she has where she's, like, looking at herself and, Mm. like, trying to get her persona together. It's like, oh, yeah, the mirror universe is supposed to remind you that this is you. Like, there is a part of you that can do this. Yep. Yes. And be this person. And, uh, yeah, I think it was cool to have a character as sunny and optimistic as Tilly. And, like, she has those qualities. The qualities of ruthlessness and ambition are there in her. She just also has to remind herself to say hell instead of heck. <laughs> but yeah, I thought that was that was well done. I think that Discovery did a better job than uh, certainly Deep Space Nine at portraying that aspect of the universe and really challenging people to think about how far removed are they really from their mirror counterparts. Yeah, it gives you an actual darker version of the characters and not just the mustache-twirlingly evil versions of them. This is definitely the time for me that the Mirror Universe has felt the most real, the most tangible. And I think that comes back again in the finale when when Giorgio is talking to, to Tilly. And, mm. she's, and Tilly says, I'm not that person. And Giorgio says, are you sure? Yeah. Well, and 
I, I think maybe Tilly undergoes the most significant transformation as a result of seeing and behaving as her mirror self, um, in that she becomes like dramatically more confident. Yeah, Tilly is definitely the character with the biggest arc. Yeah. I mean, I know Michael, you know, commits a mutiny and goes to jail and, you know, goes to the mirror universe and all, but but we're all behind Tilly, let's be real. <laughs> I think she certainly has the biggest arc when it comes to the effects of the mirror universe. Yeah. Yeah, because, like, Michael has this whole monologue at the beginning of one of the episodes, I think the wolf inside, where she's like, oh, like, doing all this horrible stuff could really get to you. And she's, you know, overseeing all these executions and sitting there looking like the uh, world's most uh, entitled sullen teenager on the captain's chair. Mm. <laughs> I'm saying that, that in a good way. Um, and uh, so she she has this whole thing about how she needs Tyler to be her tether, but there's never really any indication that she's seriously tempted to behave like a mirror person ever. She does fall into it pretty good. That's part of her concern, though. Yes. I also question her not needing therapy after that, but... Everybody on this damn ship needs therapy. For sure. Yeah. In fact, if they had had a decent therapist, so much of this could have been avoided. Indeed. They have that conversation between uh, Tyler and Burnham where Tyler keeps just saying, oh, I have PTSD, not like, I think I'm secretly Klingon. And Burnham says, like, well, in Starfleet, if you have PTSD, you're going to have to basically be confined for, like, psychiatric treatment. Not helpful, Michael. Like, promise me you're okay. And he's like, yeah, I'll tr just trust me. Just trust me. Because that's totally helpful, right? Yeah, I mean, it does make sense that you would maybe, you know, if you have someone who's having, like, serious, you know, issues with impulse control related to a mental health issue, that maybe you would want to get treatment before, like letting them be able to fire ship's weapons. I definitely would not have taken him as my second over onto the mirror universe ship. That, that seems like a really bad idea. I just, it bothers me because there's this idea that you're helping someone by mm -hmm. helping them cover up that, their mental health problems. Helping someone cope is one thing, but helping someone conceal. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's not what someone who loves you should be doing, that they should be getting you help. There's also this idea of pushing through. Yeah. Right? And that is not always the healthy thing to do. I think there's something in our society that tells us, like, that's the, the courageous thing to do when you're struggling is to just push through and you wind up doing a half-assed job of something or not committing to it or not being focused on it. And that's not always the right course of action. Sometimes the right course of action is to get treatment and get better. Mm -hmm. Or I shouldn't say get better, but start to heal, maybe. Take care of yourself. Yes. I mean, how many of the people on the ship made that decision? Like, so many. Mm -hmm. Billy covers up Stamets's shenanigans. Cornwell covers up Lorca's shenanigans. Burnham covers up Tyler. Like, it's just, come on, guys. The moral of this season is don't enable people's self-destructive behavior. It's a bad idea. Correct. Just don't. Just don't. Um, should we talk more about the Tyler Vox stuff? Since we're sort of on there? Yeah. That was the one especially where I was uh, annoyed by the whole, Oh, I knew it! I called it! I totally knew it! thing! Because um, I probably brought this up before, but I was guesting on another podcast, and I got really wrapped up in talking about how 
what happened to Tyler is shown as traumatic, not just in the torture sense, but in the sexual assault sense, where we have this really recurrent pattern in uh, media of playing off sexual assault on male characters as, but it's not real because it was at a dude, or, oh, you got beat up by a girl, or, haha, it was funny, you got attacked, like, if it's sexual assault happening to a woman, it's it's horrifying. But if it's sexual assault happening to men, it's a joke. And that is a really harmful thing to be constantly portraying. And I went on pretty much a tangent about how this felt important because this is going to be a big audience seeing this, seeing a male character who is just kind of cracked from this whole experience that was absolutely traumatic. And also, and also because... The times we do see the flashes of his uh, coerced assault, it's definitely not played as being sexy. It's played as scary, and he's horrified by it. And that's also really important that the rape is not sexualized. And uh, But after that, a bunch of the responses I got to it was just, well, it's not going to matter because it's going to turn out he's a, he's a Klingon spy. Mm-hmm. It's, like, it's like, so... So you're basically just saying all of the things I said there were moot and that none of yeah. those matter. I, I saw a lot of people commenting on threads online that, well, if Tyler is really Vok and Vok was in love with Lorel, then this isn't really rape. Mm-hmm. Um, if he was at a point where it was active coercion, then it was not consensual. Well, the way, it, it, even so, the way that Tyler is experiencing these flashbacks is assault. Yeah, and I mean, clearly, Tyler didn't consent to any of this, and he's had his, like, memories grafted into Volk, and he can still remember all of the trauma of that, and it's Tyler experiencing that trauma, and that doesn't make that any less real, and I was just, I was just really frustrated because I thought that the beginning of how it was handled was, like, pretty sensitive, actually, having, um, Tyler talk about how, um, this, like, lasting trauma was with him and how upsetting that was. Um, but then it was like they were just trying to be clever. And I feel like, like you said, Grace, this is such an issue that hasn't been portrayed well in past that you need to just do it right a couple times before you start trying to be clever with it. Yeah, pretty much. And also, just, just saying the whole point is moot just because it happened to a bad guy is incredibly harmful mm-hmm. and really, just really, really up let's just say it also i feel like this kind of gets at two of my biggest problems with discovery one that they have terrible things happen and then kind of paper over it or take it back or make it less somehow and then also this idea of just being clever like how many times were they trying to go for a really big reveal or like just trying i i just I don't need you to be clever, guys. You know, I just wanted a good story with good characters. And it got frustrating to me that they were trying so hard for these big twists that, one, everyone saw coming anyway. But two, it's just like, I, you shouldn't build your show just for payoffs. If all you've got is payoff, you don't have a lot to build it on. I listen to some TV review podcasts where the, where the, the hosts are not as, into star trek as we all are so i i know that doesn't sound like a thing (laughs) i know that star trek fans though were combing every line just like i said i was earlier looking for the twists and the turns and the clues we were totally we were expecting that to a degree though definitely we're we're a pedantic bunch i think that people who were watching it more casually were surprised 
that Lorca was from the mirror universe and were surprised that Tyler was Vok. And I think that for the more casual viewer, people who might even be new to Star Trek, that it was clever to them. Mm -hmm. And it was just those of us watching it so intensely, recapping it, <laughs> that we saw a lot of it coming. Sure. On the um, Tyler thing, though, I think that it also really kind of erased the, you know, continued to further erase the past trauma he had been through when he ends up leaving the series or the episode season with Laurel. And yeah. like, basically, in order for us to kind of be okay with that ending, we have to accept that it wasn't really assault. And that Laurel is like a semi redeemable character. Yeah, and we don't know if what Tyler was remembering is only the surgery on Vok, or if he was tortured by Laurel when Tyler himself, Tyler the human, was in prison. We don't know. Well, and he also, as Tyler, inflicted pretty serious violence on her. That mm -hmm. makes you just question whether that is a great decision at the end for them to leave together. Unless that's them intentionally being like, and these two buckos are just going to ruin their lives together. Bye! I mean, I think uh, the message was fair that, like, now he's been part of both sides. Uh, uh, man, there were some really, uh, the the line that I most rolled my eyes at was, I can see both sides. Literally. <laughs> <laughs> um, so now he can, like, go with Laurel, who trusts him, and, like, present the Federation's more tolerant viewpoint to the new leader of the Empire. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's like, it's a little messed up that given that trauma that really hasn't been processed. Although I have to say, as soon as they brought in the whole like trying fisherman's knots and stuff, I was like, okay, he needs to be gone. <laughs> that was so TNG, you guys. <laughs> Actually, it was before that. It was the episode before that when he tells uh, Burnham that you're just mad because Klingons killed your parents. Oh, <laughs> so angry. I'm, like, I'm done with you. That was such a get out moment. I love her response, though. Like, her, her response in that argument is just awesome. Because, like, everyone's pressuring her to, like, help him recover. And she basically just tells him, look, you gotta get your own shit together. And that work is hard. She doesn't owe him anything. No. We get to see our female lead just straight up reject this idea that she needs to take on the emotional labor of this guy in her life. Exactly. Which is something that we are so often told is just the de facto right thing for a woman character to do. Or a woman person. Like, yeah. Only I had seen that when I was 16. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Is everybody ready? Yeah, let's do it. <sighs> let's talk about Dr. Culber. Uh. I had the good fortune of being at the after trek taping for the second half of the season premiere so i happened to see this episode i would say a good nine hours before the rest of the world and i couldn't talk about this with anybody and it was really upsetting <sighs> yeah I mean, I'm definitely not going to be able to say it any better than Andy has said it in her post on our blog, A Painful Discovery, but it just really was so incredibly deflating and disheartening, and it took me 
uh, like four episodes after that to like sort of get excited again. And I don't blame anyone who wasn't able to get to that point after because it's just, this felt like such a slap in the face. And particularly when everyone, like the creators and the actors had been promoting how groundbreaking the show was by like having uh, Anthony Rapp and Wilson Cruz on The Advocate and doing all this LGBT media that week to then go and kill off Wilson Cruz's character. I mean, they keep saying even now that he's going to be back. I am myself really conflicted about that because mm-hmm. I feel like, I mean, you you fell into this trope. I know they're arguing and saying that it's not the barrier gays trope. To me, it still is. I That's the way I perceive it. But to to then bring him back, to magic him back, cheapens it. Yeah. So I I guess stick to your guns, although I wish you hadn't done it in the first place. Any way you look at it, it's not great. Like, I'm still really frustrated about it. I'm still really upset about it. And it kind of boggles my mind that the creative team apparently consulted with Glad. Mm-hmm. And Glad was like, yeah, go oh. for it. This sounds good. But then I remember that Glad did an entire campaign that said the A is for ally, which, oh, no, Lord. it's not. So I I don't know. I just like, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think we all agree there was no intent to do something harmful, but clearly they thought it might be harmful if they felt they had to consult with people. Well, and they did damage control right away. Yes. Like. After Trek felt like damage control. Like, they knew. They knew. Yeah. They knew that that criticism was going to come up because they were totally ready to try and, you know, be like, oh, don't worry, he's coming back. Don't worry, we checked with Glad. Don't worry, I'm the showrunner's gay. Don't worry, Anthony Rapp and Wilson Cruz are really highly respected in the queer community, which they are. And, like, this isn't nothing to do with them as actors or anything. It was just, like, ugh. When you feel like you have to do that much backpedaling, maybe wonder about the forward pedaling in the first place. <laughs> I I feel like we didn't get enough, and maybe there never would have been a good point for it, but I feel like certainly we didn't get to see enough before it happened, to the point that it, it didn't only feel like Bertie or Gaze, but then in the episode after where we have, like, ghost crews Mm -hmm. appearing to Stamets, it felt like a bit like fridging to me because we had seen so little of Culber that then like ghost Culber is coming and coaching Stamets. It felt very much like a a situation where you kill off, normally it's a woman in fridging, but like a queer man of color um, in order to motivate the white man partner. Yeah. A few other things that I want to talk about. Mm -hmm. One is that we never really get justice for him. Yep. He never gets anything that could be considered justice. No. It, the whole thing gets brushed off really quickly. Yeah, because they're As- like, oh, well, it was Vogue and not Tyler, so we can't punish Tyler. I so even somewhat agree with that. Like, I don't see how you could argue that Tyler would have done that of his own volition. But there's no trial. There's no, there's, there's nothing that could be considered justice. And that's really frustrating to me. Anthony Rapp and um, Shazad Latif do have a really well-acted scene in the mess hall um, where where Stamets confronts Tyler, but it's short. Like, it's not enough. It's too short for what they built the two of them's relationship up to be. We also... T- to my other problem, which is we barely get 
to see Stamets react to it at all. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. That's like the only time. And then the rest of it is just like, yay, mushrooms again. Yeah, I think his grieving is supposed to be that interaction in the mycelial network, but it just, no, there's no processing there. There's just like, let me solve this mystery. Let me solve this puzzle. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we were kind of united on how we felt about it, but it should be said that there are a lot of people who didn't feel that this, and I'm, I'm talking specifically of people in the queer community mm-hmm. who still feel like this is excellent representation they'll feel like the show did right by them. So just as a reminder. We couldn't even have a happy gay couple for a single full season. But yeah, I mean, of course, the community is not a monolith, just like women aren't a monolith, and not everyone's going to feel the same way. I just think personally, we all felt pretty rough about it. Yep. Asses were chapped. (laughs) I mean, I didn't mind Ghost Culber given that, like, the death had already happened, but, and I, I thought, like, the La Boheme music was a nice touch. Um, so there, you know, I, I agree that there was some sensitivity shown by the writers, but I just feel like not nearly enough to just how much hope and excitement that people felt for seeing characters when they had felt so unrepresented for so long in Star Trek. Yeah. There's another problem from a storytelling perspective. And that's that after a while you stop caring that yeah. people are dying. If you're so, yes. if you end every other episode with killing off a major character, it doesn't mean anything anymore. Become numb to it. Yeah. So like when Lorca got stabbed through the chest, I wasn't even paying attention. I was it's, like, Oh, and another one bites the dust. Uh yep. I was into that, but only because I was super excited for Amira Giorgio. <laughs> <laughs> and my uh biggest dream now is for a spinoff called Star Trek Giorgio kicks people in the face and I don't even care <laughs> if it's Prime Giorgio or Mirror Giorgio because I will just watch more of that please. I just wish they hadn't shown me Culber's death in every previously on for 10 episodes. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't need to see that. I don't need to hear it anymore. I don't. I that don't is very true. Yeah. Stop it. The you mean the the Culber thing not the Lorca thing right? Yes. 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 Yeah, that was hard to have to watch it every single time. They kept having flashbacks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if it wasn't in the previously on, it was in a flashback. And they did the same thing with Tyler's assault. Like, we yeah. saw that, like, three separate times in the show itself. Unnecessary. They just wanted to get all the mileage they could out of those prosthetic Klingon boobs. That's my theory, anyway. I'm I'm so sad about it, because the first half of Discovery, I was really enjoying myself. Yeah, it was a dark show, but I was still having fun. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then that second half, like, I just, first of all, I feel like the payoffs were not worth the setups. And then just everybody kept dying. And by the end, I just, I just didn't, I just didn't really care very much about these characters anymore, which made me really upset because I really cared about them before. And I still love Tilly and I still love Burnham and I still love Stamets. But it's just, like, how long are we going to have them if this kind of, like, pace continues? It'll be, like, season three and it'll be an entirely new cast. Everyone else has been stabbed. (laughs) It's musical chairs. Maybe that's their way of actually getting to do the anthology series they wanted. Well, I think the way they're doing the anthology series they wanted is wrapping up the war so quickly. Yeah. Yeah. 
I think, though, that um, one thing that we were promised that I don't feel that we saw is um, repeatedly the the creators said, um, you know, when Grace, you and I were in Vegas, you know, that this is we're spending so much time with the Klingons because we're going to show you both sides of the war and like how this happens. And I feel like we saw a lot of Klingons, but other than, yo, they're racist. I don't think we really saw... <laughs> really the both sides in, in terms of like being able to feel empathy. There wasn't a lot to sympathize with, no. Yeah. So I thought that that was a little bit unfortunate. Aside from Mirror Vok and the fact that you really do feel the connection between uh, Vok and Laurel, n- yeah, not a lot of sympathy here. I had jealousy for their face jewelry, but... So correct me if I'm wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong, but the se- the season got expanded from 13 to 15 episodes pretty late, right? Uh, I think it was, yeah, like maybe four or five episodes in. Like it was almost, it was before the season break, but it was significantly into the uh, season. So I f- feel just like from a storytelling aspect that all of what would have been season two mm-hmm. was episodes 14 and 15. I totally agree. <laughs> yep. It went so fast. They come back from the mirror universe and, you know, the Klingons have won the war mm-hmm. is the perfect season ending cliffhanger. And then there were yeah. two more episodes <laughs> where so much happened. And yeah. I think it was in those two episodes, like the time we spent on Kronos, that we really would have explored that culture more. Were they worried they were going to get canceled or something? Seriously, draw it out some if you can. I feel like they, uh, I mean, and actually I saw some comments by the writers that, that backed this up where they always knew where the, where the story was going to end. And I feel like maybe that was most episodes they could get to tell that story or else they just didn't count properly. Because, yeah, it, I, I think it was like maybe two or three episodes before the ending that it started to feel like, wow, what is even going on here? Even like the mirror universe, the stuff on Giorgio's ship, the like turnaround from... Burnham gets to Giorgio's ship. Giorgio tries to have her executed. Giorgio decides not to execute her, but then Lorca's taken over. But then Lorca, Lorca's and her are going to have a shootout. That's only like two episodes, too. So that also yeah. went massively fast. When I was writing the recaps for the last three episodes, I'd get to, you know, in my rewatch, I'd get to the the opening credits and I'd have eight to ten paragraphs. Yeah. <laughs> And then they had lunch. A lot. Yeah. Yeah, I would say that, like, it it definitely felt really fast. And I also, I didn't totally buy uh, Laurel's ascension to lead the Empire. Yeah, I don't get that. I felt like it was really fast. And there they skipped over a lot of, like, what ne- would have needed to happen to make that happen. Like, she just shows them the pad and everyone laughs at her. And then she's like, or she, sorry, she says, I want to be your leader. Everyone laughs at her. And then she holds up the pad and everyone's like, ooh. But like, they, she hasn't told them what it is. Uh-huh. We haven't seen really any of the house's connection to Kronos, which I felt if they had had more time, they could have done that more effectively and build that empathy with the Klingons. Yeah, I feel like not just the war, but a lot of the resolutions for all of this buildup just happened too quickly. Yeah, payoff-wise, this show had some issues, but I still liked a lot of things about it, too. Mm -hmm. But I mean, yeah, for the message they wanted to send, that, you know, we are Starfleet, we are not going to to go into this last battle, we're not going to commit genocide, I don't think we could have had a battle at the end of the season 
because it doesn't fall with those themes they wanted to to push. But it still felt anticlimactic in a lot of ways. I also felt that Sarek was uh, not disturbed enough by his own willingness to commit genocide on the Klingons. I mean, like, we all know Sarek. He doesn't let shit go. So, um... (laughs) Nobody holds a grudge like a Vulcan. Nobody. Like, obviously, he's not going to be crying, but uh, my friend uh, Katzi California on uh, Twitter was saying, it's like Sarek goes, oh, yeah, sure, I just compromised my entire worldview. YOLO. (laughs) Jets off into the sunset. He's just like, oh, well, my daughter's back in Starfleet. That is like success for me. Maybe he's walking away from it and being like, and this never happened. If you tell anyone that this is how it went down, I will lie. And I will be the one they believe. I think what they intended and didn't really convey is how much the Federation went through in the nine months that Discovery was gone. Yes. I think they they tried, they told, but they didn't show. And the the Federation is supposed to be so desperate and so afraid that this is what they would stoop to. And that extreme reaction didn't really come across. And that that's unfortunate. I definitely bought it more from Cornwell. Yes. I bought it more from Cornwell. I think that Jane Brooke was one of the outstanding supporting actors of this season as Cornwell. Um, and she She should be captain there. They need someone who's got a psychology background. (laughs) Yeah. And we get to see her reaction to the destruction of Star Race one and things. But Sarek, even if he felt justified, I think still would have been much more doubtful of himself and brooding over what he had done at the end when he realized that he had another choice. Well, and I was listening to Mission Log Live on the Roddenberry Podcast Network uh, when they were discussing the finale episode and saying that there doesn't really seem to be an enemy. But I would disagree in that I think the enemy is supposed to be fear and desperation. Ooh. And it's just and, – and that's what Burnham's whole speech is about. Like, we're not going to succumb to that. That's what makes us our mirror counterparts. Yes. But it just, there wasn't enough time to explore that. Yeah, I would agree. I think in the episode before, even, or actually it's like three episodes before, a lot happened. Um, But, (laughs) uh, you know, as annoyed as I was about Tilly pressuring Burnham to go hang out with Tyler, she has this whole thing about, you know, being my mirror self made me realize that our biggest struggle here is that we have to find the darkness within ourselves and fight it. And um, so that was, I think, another uh, time that message was reinforced. Speaking of Sarek not really dealing with the fact that he was apparently okay with genocide, I feel like a lot of these characters don't ever face consequences. I feel like that's something that happens over and over and over again. In true Star Trek fashion. <laughs> yep. That is the most Star Trek thing they could have possibly done. <laughs> but that most of that was brought because of the format, because right. of the fact that it was so episode to episode. This is a completely arced show. Like, every episode is basically building to this one story. So the fact that nobody ever faced consequences is much more glaring in this format than it is with as much as I love in TOS where they're like, ha, 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 that was a delightful adventure. Let's leave that planet alone now. <laughs> Shambles. 
but we'll just fly away with one pithy quip. Um, <laughs> Not our problem. <laughs> but, like, let's take Saru. Let's take something that happened at the beginning of the season. He completely betrayed Burnham and Tyler. And <laughs> nothing ever happened. He became captain. And yep. I'm even kind of okay with that because I was more sympathetic to Saru than I think a lot of uh, Saru's position in that episode. This is the episode where, like, the Good. He's high on energy light beings. Yeah. <laughs> he finds a cheap and easy medication for his chronic anxiety. It's really great, but it's kind of messing with his personality a little. Exactly. So, like, mm-hmm. I had sympathy for why he chose to do what he did in that episode, but they got yeah. back to the ship and it was like, wah, wah. oh well. <laughs> well, you really did it this time, Saru. Yeah. And then, I mean, just over and over again, Tyler just wanders off into the sunset. Even mud, they're like, here, going with your ex-wife will totally wake up for the fact that you're clearly a murderer. Like, I, I just, I don't get it. I don't, I don't get it. And it just makes, it's just like over and over and over again, I feel like. And, and like Burnham, everything that she was being punished for at the beginning of the show has been wiped away. Mm-hmm. Yep. People are very forgetful on this show. I think that she should have been sentenced to life imprisonment anyway. Uh, life but, forced labor. <laughs> yeah, like, what was that? Jeez. But still, like, just no no lasting consequences for anything. It's driving me nuts. It's like, even Lorca, like, had this whole build-up to Lorca, and then he's dead and gone in, like, an episode, and then that's it. I just, anyways. Or is he? Dun, dun, dun. Prime Lorca is probably going to show up. If Prime Lorca doesn't show up, I'm going to shit my pants. They made such a big deal of telling us that Prime Lorca was dead that he's definitely not dead. Yeah, he's got to be. Jason Isaacs on Twitter paraphrased the Monty Python dead parrot sketch and said, I am an ex-captain. <laughs> Like, no, I'm really dead. Yeah, but to be fair, Jason Isaacs also said that we shouldn't believe anything he says because he's lied before. But is that also a lie? (laughs) If nothing else, Discovery made me attuned to the magic of Jason Isaacs on Twitter, and it is the best. He is pretty great on Twitter. Yeah, he shared a a video of him, like, slow motion practicing for his fight with Michelle Yeoh, and she's just kicking his ass, and he's doing so badly. He's just, like, stumbling all over the place. It was adorable. (laughs) I felt like him, you know, we find out he's Mirror, and he gets basically one episode and a little bit of being out Mirror Lorca. (laughs) And it was like kind of disappointing because he's basically just like rah 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 I'm super racist now I get stabbed oh and also possibly a bit of a pedophile and we should probably talk about that Uh, mm -hmm. I think that the implication there was that was when Michael was grown up but they do use the phrase groomed which really brings up some uncomfortable connotations yeah I think the language that is used more than anything else is the tip off Yeah. yeah And, like, there's no way they just picked that word randomly. Like, I did have people be like, oh, I didn't catch that. But, like, the word is deliberately chosen. Mm -hmm. Um, But, I mean, even if she was grown up, they do – Michelle Yeoh's – sorry, Giorgio says 
um, that he was like a father figure to to you, and then like you grew into something more. So, Which is super freaking creepy. So even if she's an adult, it's still um, like incestuous overtones. Mirror Universe Lorca has some serious Woody Allen vibes. Okay, so I totally knew that Lorca was from the Mirror Universe. I yep. knew that from a, a long time ago. Um, I don't even remember the exact moment. Maybe it was when, I don't know, I saw his serial killer lair. Um, <laughs> He's got a, but, he really does have a serial but killer. I, really, I knew this wasn't going to happen, but I wanted it to. I wanted them to subvert it. I wanted him to be good. Yeah. <laughs> I want He's just creepy, see? Exiled from the... They're, like, tried to overthrow Giorgio because he was a good person, like Spock. Like, mere Spock. And then he was coming back to Discovery and, like, being in our world and being around the Starfleet and the Federation was turning him into a better person. And then he was gonna manipulate them into into the, his universe so he could overthrow it and take the, be the Emperor and be a better person and that's what I wanted, and I didn't get it, so I'm better. Just like every other fan out there. It didn't happen <laughs> the way I wanted it to, so now I hate everything. <laughs> <laughs> we, like Vulcans, never forget, either. Not really. But I, I still think that would have been cool. There is one thing that I keep wondering, that I kept wondering while watching through this. And that is, do you think we're ever going to get to a point where we've got enough clout in the Star Trek community that we can just kind of out of nowhere just show up and, and hang on a second, and be like, Rod! Rod, what was that? Rod! What are you doing? Do you think we'll ever reach that point? Because I like to think that someday we could. <laughs> well, if we were in charge of Star Trek, it would be different. It would be very different. It would be 80% holodeck adventures. <laughs> it would oh, be a lot oh. gayer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Probably a lot less dead as well. Fun fun fact before I forget. Uh the episode 12 Vaulting Ambition, which is the one the first one where uh Burnham and Lorca are on uh Georgia's ship was the only Discovery episode this season that was directed by a woman, um, which was by Hanel Culpepper. And um, so she's also the second woman of color to direct Star Trek, um, along with Roxanne Dawson. Whoa. Only the second, though? It's a full Bechdel pass for the whole it's season. Yes. The entire, every episode. And there were a handful of episodes where it was really, really close. <laughs> like, they... They had killed off most of their female characters, and I remember one episode, it's literally, uh, like, Cornwell and Burnham talking for maybe two minutes, and it's kind of Tyler-adjacent, because it's when Burnham rescues Cornwell from the Klingon ship and then blows it up, but they have enough of a conversation that it's a Bechdel pass, but still, <laughs> let us appreciate that we went from show, like, TOS that had... 22% to 100% is no joke. Well, and some of the conversations you counted in TOS were just two lines exchanged, right? Yeah, and even in Voyager, which was like 90-something percent, um, I think the top season of Voyager was 95%, so even still not every episode passed. And a lot of the episodes were just like, Janeway called engineering and said hi to Balana. Yeah, nothing like <laughs> just Tilly Burnham conversations we got. But, like, a full two-minute conversation between Cornwell and Burnham? I mean, that's a much bigger pass than a lot of TOS. Does it count 
that they're it, as talking about a guy if they're talking about eating a kelpian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah. There's an is there an addendum to the Bechdel Wallace test that if it's talk you can talk about a man as long as you're talking about devouring them. Can we <laughs> No, but can we talk about poor Saru for a second? Uh, yeah. He finds out Saru. real quick all of a sudden that he was food in the other universe and his captain leading this mission wants to eat him and then he winds up basically helping to save the universe. And then Sarek's like, we're going to go pick up your new captain. Yeah, that was... Seriously? I realized he just got his promotion from lieutenant commander to commander, commander, like, maybe a year prior because of the time jump, because it was right after the Battle of the Binary Stars. But come on. You don't yeah. think that's worthy of a promotion? His arc and Tilly's arc are two of my favorites because they're internal rather than external. Mm-hmm. Like, especially Burnham was very much like it kept happening to her and she was reacting to it, mm-hmm. which is fine. That's not a bad thing. But I really enjoyed the way Saru starts off and he's really insecure. And I mean, remember that scene where he like Googles good captains? Yes. <laughs> like, yes. How, do, how do I become a good captain? And then and he gives them that speech when they find out about Lorca. It's so it's great. Right. Like, he has grown into his, I guess, command really, really well. Mm-hmm. And um, that was lovely to see, especially since, I mean, there were whole episodes where when I was doing the previously on on the recap, I kept making the joke, Saru was there. Like, they <laughs> they had whole episodes where he was basically just there. Um, but they still he gave was polishing like, his platforms in the background. <laughs> pretty much. But, like, they made it to the end of the season, and he had grown so much and become such a great but that ep- But that episode on the planet where he betrays Tyler and Burnham, that, I think, is a turning point for him. Because it's – he felt the relief from his anxiety, mm-hmm. but I think that experience also helped him learn to manage it. And after that point, just even in his physicality, even in background scenes, he's a lot less jumpy and a lot less, like, just skittish about things. And you see that confidence building in that character. I mean, his speech in that last Mirror Universe episode is was the first time I got really excited about it again since Culber's death. And mm-hmm. I just loved that part where he rises to the occasion and says the exact right things and it's so Star Trekky. Yeah, it's great. If you're happy I to see really like it, he stayed captain. Yeah. One because I'd be up for that. And two because it, we haven't had an alien captain. I want an alien captain. Yeah. Me too. Especially since it's so poetic that he, in the mirror universe, they were like cattle, and in our universe, he's our captain. Mm-hmm. That was awesome. Yeah. And I really loved that moment where Giorgio was like testing him, and he was like, no, 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 no. I see mm-hmm. your wordplay, and I return it, and yes. you don't scare me. I liked that. I always like when people fight with words. Oh, <laughs> but we do have to talk about Giorgio. We do. Yes. I want to talk about the fact that we have yet another by pansexual evil mirror woman it's like the only way that they can show that these women are evil is you know have them have an orgy mm-hmm. it's the only way we're allowed to exist 
Well, and I thought we were going to get through the season because that didn't happen until the last one. So yeah. I thought it was going to be enough that she just like ate Kelpians and like randomly slaughtered people that she didn't trust to keep her secrets. And But no, but nope. no, like that whole scene where they're in the market or whatever, that whole thing was like, oh, uh, and the costumes. Oh. So mm-hmm. sexy. Yeah, the co- Like the way even like the the. the, the what she brought out in Tilly and what she brought out in even Burnham was just, and it was just, it was so fun. Like it was a really fun scene. And, you know, normally I'd be all for orgy. Like why not? But I'm just really sick of it also being equated with like, look how evil she is. She's bad guys. Yeah. She's, she's a bad girl. Like, Okay. Yeah, like, bisexuality isn't the same thing as hedonism, but that is how it's portrayed in Mirror Star Trek. I really think that they need to get a glimpse of my bisexual life, which usually is me (laughs) eating Sour Patch Kids, petting my cats, and watching Star Trek. (laughs) Mine is accidentally seducing multiple characters in Mass Effect and then feeling bad for hurting a fictional character's feelings. That happened to me, too! (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I'm sorry. I just meant to be friendly. I don't actually want to hook up. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. If we just saw the occasional orgy from a Prime Universe character. Yes. Well, I mean, it's not even an orgy. It's a threesome. Yeah, well, yes. If they had given me Prime Giorgio having a threesome, I probably would have been pumped by that, to be honest. Right. Like, if we knew for a fact that Prime Giorgio was pan or bi, and enjoyed threesomes, then I'd be less annoyed by it. But instead, this is supposed to be, like, another reason we see her as evil. Yeah, we had a, a comment on the blog from Dave to that effect that, you know, if you only show it in the Mirror Universe, then it seems like you're saying that is a sign of, yeah. like, promiscuity and evil versus, like, just something that people, some people do sometimes. So thanks for that, guys. Thanks. That those stereotypes make it out here into the real world quite yes. often yes, and are cited as reasons not to date by and pan people. Mm-hmm. So cut it out, guys. Cut it out. Cut that shit right the hell out. Because <laughs> I got no time for it. I think I'd be less annoyed if it had it. It wasn't like the millionth time I feel like I've seen it. Yeah, probably. In Star Trek specifically. Mm-hmm. So, anyways. Thank you for allowing me my rant. Oh, for sure. Um, I will say that other than that, I really dug Empress Georgiou. I mean, it was a little frustrating because um, it's like, uh, well, I thought she was going to die. And so I'm like, oh, great, you're going to bring her back and then kill her again. <laughs> Luckily, that didn't happen. Although also weird, not people not facing consequences situation. Mm. Um but um, I found uh, there's an article about uh, all the titles that they gave her. So she has uh, this, uh, when they announce her in the court, as her most imperial majesty, mother of the fatherland, overlord of Vulcan, dominus of Kronos, Regina Andor, emperor Philippa Giorgio Augustus Yaponius Centarius. And it was pretty awesome. And so... Um, one of the writers was on Twitter sort of explaining where they got the titles. Um, the, the stuff about like Vulcan and Kronos and stuff all makes sense. Um, they chose mother of the fatherland, even though they degendered emperor to be emperor mm-hmm. instead of empress. Um, 
but they thought Mother of the Fatherland sounded kind of cool. Um, they also, uh, they picked Dominus of Kronos because, um, Dominus is a harsher title than Emperor, so it's like, we own them, mm-hmm. and said that the reason they mispronounced Kronos is out of cultural chauvinism. Ah. So that's, like, this whole issue about, like, well, isn't it Kronos? It's because the, they're, they, you know, she thinks the Klingons are animals. Also, it makes it sound like you're calling them little, little babies on Kronos. <laughs> <laughs> Look at your little Klingons. Um. So then, Augustus is because the Terrans see themselves as inheritors of the Roman Emperor Empire. Mm-hmm. So that's why they also say Emperor, and everyone takes the name Augustus. Apparently, Japonius, which is Latin for Japanese. Um. And the writer Jordan Ardino says this in my fever dream is a is a title Hoshisato adopted when she named herself Empress to honor her homeland. <laughs> And said, well, then the question is, is Giorgio descended from Hoshi? And uh, says, Hoshi was empress. A hundred years later, Giorgio is emperor. Giorgio took one of Hoshi's titles as her own to connect them. So Hoshi's legacy as empress must be good. And Giorgio must either be connected to her in a chain of succession or might at least want to create that connection. So either it's symbolic or genetic, we don't know. Um, but he does know that they do have different ethnic backgrounds. So... Uh-huh. He doesn't think it's likely Philippa is a direct descendant, um, like a great-grandchild, but um, more likely it's uh, symbolic. We have explored everyone being related to everyone else, and it's called Star Wars. <laughs> also, not all Asians are related. Yes. Too. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, yeah, so I thought it was good that they acknowledged that maybe she's just taking it as symbolic because... You know, like you might do if you overthrew a society and you want to create legitimacy for yourself as a monarch is to connect yourself to another monarch that was well respected. Well, like mm-hmm. popes do this. Yeah. As well. Yeah. Kings do it. Also, the costumes. I loved the mirror costumes. Oh I was super my gosh, them. they were great. You know, as much as the cosplayer, um, I, I have a lot of empathy for the cosplayers that are having difficulty. Like, a group of, our Ottawa group is saying, like, who wants to do Discovery cosplay for Ottawa Comic Con? And there's, like, one person who can afford to hire a seamstress. Um, <laughs> and then I'm going, can I wear my disco t-shirt? Um, but. <laughs> I mean, technically. Uh, yeah. And running I, shoes. <laughs> yeah. Um, but they, they looked awesome and I love them. Agreed. I I really enjoyed the look of this series quite a lot. We also had a lot of Easter eggs, and we definitely won't be able to cover them all, but I thought that most of them were quite nice and fun for Star Trek fans without probably distracting too much Mm -hmm. for non-Star Trek fans, like the SETI eels they're grilling at the end of things (laughs) like that. Oh, that was really cute. Yeah. And I bet delicious. (laughs) so one thing that i keep reading slash hearing is that people wish we would know more about our secondary slash background bridge crew Mm -hmm. yeah i want to know what their deal is i was sad they didn't get medals and named at the end (laughs) well they're all standing there aren't they yeah yeah so maybe they're getting medals but they just don't get their names called yeah I get that there's a time issue, but, like... And it's all Burnham's, like, voiceover business yeah. happening, too. I want like, I want them to be a huge part of next season. 
I love this cast, but it's, it makes me sad that we don't have the family aspect that we do on, on some of the other Star Trek shows. Like, I mean, in particular TNG, which is, I've always said it, my Star Trek, but like, that's something I really, really loved about that show. And I think that developed on DS9 and Voyager as well, but we don't see it as much. We see them doing more as the season goes on, but we don't know anything about them. We don't know who they are. Well, I mean, we do know who they are, but only if you read the articles. I mean, we know um, their names. Yeah. But we don't know them. That's what I mean. Like, we know, yes. we knew at the end of season one that, like, where Tasha grew up and the troubles Deanna had with her mother. We don't know anything about them in that way. We know yeah. things that are only story adjacent. Um, but it does make a huge difference. And similar to what Andy was saying about the Bechdel Wallace test is, um, that they've clearly made a very concerted effort to cast, um, background and supporting actors with diversity. And sometimes, like with Rekha Sharma, this didn't super pan out well. Um, you know, they said originally they were going to cast a guy and they were always going to kill the character off. They decided to kill, uh, have a woman of color. It just made it seem like a bit of an unfortunate pattern. Luckily, we got Mirror Landry, who then also dies. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, but, uh, you know, nice to see a little bit. Um, but, like, one thing, um, so in addition to our main bridge crew, which got vastly more diverse um, after the first several episodes, where you have um, Commander Ariam, played by Sarah Mitich, um, as sort of the... Uh, cyborg type character um uh oyen oladejo as uh lieutenant osekun oh my god i i need to be able to say this properly osekun is that how you say it i'm not sure they've ever said it so i don't know okay um so you have oyen oladejo as lieutenant osekun and i apologize if i mispronounced that i don't recall us hearing it a lot but i liked how she also had a prominent role in, as her mirror counterpart mm -hmm. um obviously uh emily Coutts, who plays lieutenant detmer um and she kind of starts to feel like a family member by the end because she has a bit of a, like a mini arc where she sort of i guess forgives burnham and starts to back her um, and, uh, Patrick Kwokchun is Lieutenant Reese. So, um, oh, and also I forgot, uh, Ronnie Rowe Jr. as, uh, Lieutenant Bryce. So there's, um, quite a diverse bridge crew, which is awesome. But then you also, um, the doctor that you see, um, post Culber is, um, played by Raven Dowda and, um, she plays Dr. Pollard, although I don't think we ever hear her name, but she's, um, you know, uh, looks sort of like a not super young black woman. Um, and I thought that that was good casting to, again, just, you know, show that it doesn't always have to be a white dude. Yeah. And apologies if I mispronounced anyone's names. <laughs> no, agreed. And it was noticeable if you're looking at it right i don't know if i that is the correct way to say it but anytime we'd see the background characters i'd look at them I'd look at the bridge and be like oh yes good yes <laughs> i think it's noticeable because we've noticed the lack but i don't know if right. we would have been sitting there as people who hadn't paid attention to star trek being 
feeling like this looked really different. Unless maybe we ourselves had felt un- underrepresented before. And I mean, as a white woman, I hadn't felt like significantly underrepresented in the background scenes of Voyager, just say. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly, um, since I've started paying attention, this seemed very apparent to me. Oh, I guess we should talk about what might happen next. Yeah, so there was quite the surprise. The, the distress call from the NCC-17, oh no, they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> this surprised me. I don't know about y'all, but I honestly did not see this coming. No, me neither. I don't have necessarily any super strong feelings about it, but I also didn't see it coming. I'm curious to see if they're going to actually do anything with it or if that was just them capping off the season. I forget who it was, but I saw somebody <laughs> write in a thread that, like, watch season two open with Discovery warping away from Enterprise and saying, well, that was fun. <laughs> yeah, that's my prediction. Um, I think it was Ted Sullivan, but it might have been one of the other executive producers say, um, well, you know, of course, we still have to explain why Spock and Burnham don't talk because they didn't really explain that. Um, and so basically said, you know, we we had to have them run into the Enterprise so that we can finish that part of the story and maybe take them in some new directions. So um, it does seem like they're they're going to have some interaction with that crew. I mean, it's the the Pike crew. Bring in Kinto. Bring in Kinto. Yeah, I don't know if that's going to happen, but I wouldn't be upset about it. I'm allowed to dream. I don't. I care more about who they would cast as number one because if they don't give us number one now, I'm going to be so disappointed. I'm super excited about number one. I think that's yeah. what I'm most excited about. I'm actually really nervous about Spock. Yep. Like I just, if they can get Kinto, Quinto, whichever way it is, great. But, like, I don't know how I feel about a third actor playing this character. That might be a bit much. You know? Although we did have that little kid in the in, in uh, the first of the Prime movies. Well, okay. <laughs> the third actor playing this character as an adult. Yeah, that could be a bit much. I am not super concerned about that. I'm... Certainly in season one of Discovery, I remember when we were talking about what we thought might happen, and I was super concerned about the Harry Mudd stuff. And, yes. uh, first, like it said, he was only, he was going to be in like eight episodes. Um, he was only in two, and the second one was actually my favorite episode of the whole series. It was pretty Even great. Though- yeah. That was at a time when they were just listing everyone announced for every episode. Wait, 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 wait. guys, guys, new theory. It's going to be revealed. Vok was actually mud all along. <laughs> it was a turduck in disguise. <laughs> but you know when they when they said trust us about Harry Mud, I was skeptical. And I mean, I think they did a really good job. Yeah, they did yeah, pretty good. I agree. But they actually weren't listing everyone for every episode because um, Sarek was only listed as for one or two episodes, and so and then. Um, when uh, Michelle Yeoh, uh, when after we saw her first two episodes, it didn't say she was going to be in more episodes, mm. um, like on IMDb. So I remember being really disappointed because I love James Frain that Sarek wasn't going to be in more episodes. Um, and then I, all my expectations were kind of turned on their head. And most of them, in terms of like the casting situation for the better, I think that overall the casting was very good. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they were trying to mess with us. 
<laughs> like they do. Like they do. So I wonder for anyone who has read the two tie-in novels, do you think that if they explore how Burnham and Spock don't speak to each other, that it will relate at all to the novel written about it that was supposedly written with a lot of heavy input from the writer's room? That was a convoluted way of asking that question. <laughs> I don't think you, I think you're the only one who's read it. Oh, okay. So far. I've downloaded it, but have not read it yet. So yeah, the first Discovery novel deals with that. <laughs> um, I don't know. I'm curious to find out because I don't think they would tie it in so closely. They'd have the the writer's room participate in the writing of the novel if they weren't going to talk about it at all. But it's an excellent book. Um, I keep getting the two titles confused because they're very similar. So I'm going to double check it. There's no. Desperate Measures or Desperate Hours. And, and Drastic Measures. Drastic Measures. Yeah. So Desperate Hours is the first yes. one. and Yeah. That's the one by David Mack. Yeah. And then the second one's by Dayton Ward. Yeah. And Sue has reviewed both on our blog. Which, but I haven't read them yet because I don't want to be spoiled. <laughs> I'm sure they're great. Um, yeah, I mean, and, uh, Kirsten Beyer is, has been, uh, working on the, you know, supporting the tie-in novels as well as the tie-in comics. And, um, the comics so far, there's only a couple issues out and it's really, there's been Takuvma's backstory and then we've seen there's going to be, uh, Stamets backstory, which will also feature his, him meeting Culber. Um, so I guess that will be kind of bittersweet. Um, uh, but, uh, I mean, so far they've been, uh, good. It's just, it feels like almost a little too soon to say what they so far haven't said anything super significant about, uh, the actual show. Well then, Jara, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at J-A-R-R-A-H Penguin. And Grace? You can find me on Twitter at BoneCrusherJank and at the Mycenaeum Causeway across the universe. <laughs> And Andy? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at First Time Trek, where I'm live tweeting through my first time through Star Trek. And I'm Sue, and you can find me on Twitter at Spaltor. That's S-P-A-L-T-O-R. If you'd like to reach the show, you can do so on Twitter at Women at Warp, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Women at Warp, by email at crew at Women at Warp.com, and you can find our blog at Women at Warp.com, and more from the Roddenberry Podcast Network over at podcasts with an S dot Roddenberry.com. Thanks so much for listening.